Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Chandit Podcast. Um, this is going to be a bit of a lighter episode because we only have four events to cover and four events to preview. We are nearing the end of the season. It's only really six weeks of Challenger action left. I don't know yet what we're going to do during the off-season with the show, but probably there will be some sort of reviews. Maybe I'm going to talk about like my favorite matches or something. I don't know. With Jakob, we had this um, thing uh, sort of where we recorded this two-hour-long season review, but part of it was his work um, that that um, I haven't really been keeping up with, honestly, since uh, his uh, death. So, um, well, we're going to figure something out anyway. And uh, yeah, for now, let's just enjoy the four events that we had this week and uh, let's keep uh, ourselves ready for the rest of the season. And uh, yeah, let's start with the big one, of course, which was in Olbia, the Challenger 125 of the previous week. And Kirill Jokai won it over Flavio Comboli. And uh, um, yeah, that's a very surprising title winner. Although at the same time, you know, we've chatted about him a few times this year, mostly when he reached the final in Blois and lost to Quentin Alice. Of course, he was he forced to retire in that final. Although by that point, he was actually, you know, uh, heavily losing even though he won the first set. And Jacques finally this year has been playing up to his potential. I think he has like a constant Lestienish style to his game. Obviously he's a righty as well as um, as well as Lestienne, so that's why they are sort of um because they, you know there are a lot of these French magicians on the tour. And I think Jacques and Lestienne are probably the most um similar ones because they are righties. Usually you have like you know, Gaston, Moutet, where they also had the lefty factor to it. Um, and you know, obviously there are differences to their games, but um, to basically that that's, um, that's I feel like, a, a pretty accurate description of Jacquet. He was, he's basically like a varied counter-puncher type of deal. And it is a very effective game. It is a very nice game to watch as, as well when he's in full flight. And to get this title, that's enormous for him, because even though on on a few occasions this year we mentioned that he was doing better, he was still outside the top 300, actually, um, before this week started. So um, that was something um, that I feel like didn't really reflect his abilities at all. Now he's going to be just outside the top 200 and potentially playing Australia, you know, so that's... Um, that's a wonderful thing for him. And to get these 125 points, it just takes this very solid season of his, much better than 2022 for sure. It just takes this very solid season of his to like a completely new level. And and that's um, amazing for the guy, of course. I actually haven't checked if he played slam qualities before because um, obviously not... Um, he, the only way he could have played it if, is if he got a French wildcard. And he got in 2021, he played Zapata Miralesh. Uh, and in 2022, he won a round. So basically, yeah, he, he only played Grand Slam qualifying as a wildcard. Now he might actually get there on merit. And um, honestly, he deserves it. What a run as well. He started from the qualifying. He struggled against Orlov, but then beat Martinez. And then some players who recently have been winning titles, you know, Blanchet, the finalist, uh, the, sorry, the champion from Malaga, uh, Joris Delors, the, the finalist of Bratislava, and also Flavio Koboli, the champion of Lisbon. So um, a very strong run after all from Jacquet, especially the the match against Delors in the semis was so entertaining. There were rain delays, lots of drama. Um, Yeah, the break uh, came at like a very pivotal moment. Definitely some choking involved as well from uh, Jacquet, especially in the second set. But eventually he ends up winning that and he plays an excellent match, I think, in in the final as well. 
So uh, a rise of over 100 ranking spots. Uh, that's rare and um, well, especially around this sort of ranking, of course, it's it's not that rare when you're a uh, thousand or 900 or something like that, but um, it's rare in this sort of ranking because that's a huge challenger win for Jacquet. 125, even the previous final that he had in Blois, I believe, was a 75. So, uh, so that was a much smaller challenger. Uh, yeah, and the finalist, Flavio Cobolli, um, we have to talk about him here because he broke the top 100 this week. He actually wasn't one of the guys that I had on my top 100 for 2023 list, uh, mostly as uh, I just didn't think his bounce back season, because I believed in his bounce back season, but I didn't believe that it was going to be so consistent, you know, that he was going to get um, this many great runs everywhere basically like basically right away at the very beginning of the season he started getting like some quarters some semis obviously famously was zero and five in the se- in semi-finals of challengers until he won lisbon a couple of weeks back his second challenger title now he had a, the chance for the third uh, but it was a very impressive run anyway because on hard courts Koboli hardly has any achievements um, he also has hardly played on it basically i mean he has about let's say without counting it thoroughly let's say he has about 60 matches on hard courts compared to 200 on clay and uh, this week he beats Nava, Gaio, Lestien, Molchan that's a very strong set I mean Gaio maybe not but Nava, Lestien, Molchan and against Lestien and Molchan he was truly peaking and sort of playing sustained offense in a way that he's usually not able to do even on clay honestly so, um, yeah, fantastic stuff from Koboli, and he actually breaks the top 100. When it comes to what he had to do this week, um, when he beat Lestien, he was in the top 100 live, but it wasn't mathematically certain yet. But by the time he had to come out onto the court against Molchan, he was actually already mathematically into the top 100. So, um, as it turns out, it was only really the uh, semi-final that uh, was needed. He managed to go around further uh, his first challenger final on clay because uh, sorry on hard courts of course because uh, on clay um, well clay that was the only real surface for him so far where he had challenger runs but this is of course great for him to uh, be able to do it um, in different conditions as well and the semi-finalists in Olbia, they were, as I already mentioned, Alex Molchan and Joris Delor. Decent run for Molchan. Uh, the match against Bellucci in the quarters, I think, was mostly a horrific Bellucci performance, really. But he ended up going to the semis, and I think he will be a bit disappointed that he didn't even um, get a fighting chance against Koboli. But again, Koboli uh, really peaking in the quarters, in the semis, I think, in terms of what he can do on hard. Um, so it still must be pretty decent for Morchan because recently he lost in the first round of his last three challengers. He did have very tough opponents because it was Vanash, Novak and Delor, but some of these losses were painful. Like Novak crushed him and Vanash, Morchan um, had a 6-1-5-2 lead and a match point. So um, it was painful definitely for him to, to lose three times in a row even though he recently got a Tsitsipas win at Davis Cup, but this semi-final run will help a bit, just wasn't too competitive against Koboli. Joris Delor was competitive against Jacquet, and just last week we were talking about him maybe potentially getting an Antwerp wildcard, he didn't, of course, he picked up a special exempt for Olbia, and 
I think he made it work. I don't think he'll be complaining too much. He beat Tiranta, he beat Lloyd Harris in a very good win. By the way, Lloyd Harris was my pick for the title. Uh, I didn't get any points this week, I can already tell you that. And uh, then he also beat Forti and lost to Jacquet in that crazy match that I mentioned. So I think not much to regret when it comes to the lore. Uh, I actually thought he was going to beat Jacquet, but um, it ended up being a very tight match and a good display of the Frenchman's um, sort of ability to be uncomfortable for his opponents. And when it comes to the doubles in Olbia, we had a win. Uh, we had a win by the Indian pairing of Bodipali and Kade. They are 11 and 9 together, and they actually have won their first challenger title because they had two finals earlier. They were the guys who allowed Matsui and Uesugi to, um, to win a title after such a long period of waiting in Porto earlier and in the final they beat the Sabanovs and by the way this is this is maybe quite interesting to someone because the Sabanovs have been struggling a bit of course but they were actually a bit of a storyline this week because um, Petros and Stefanos Tsitsipas claimed an ATP Tour doubles title in Antwerp and they were actually the first brothers to do it since the Sabanovs in Belgrade 2021 and I honestly fully forgot that the Sabanovs had a main tour title but yeah they did. And um, even on the challenger level this year, it has been a little topsy-turvy for them, let's say. Although they have a tit- they actually have a title from earlier this year. But in, um, in the final against Boli and Kade, Boli, um, Bolipali and Kade, uh, in, the, um, yeah, in the final in Olbia, uh, they only won four games. So that's a, a bit of a shocking result in a challenger doubles final, honestly, especially on, on a pretty fast surface. Um, then let's go to one of the 75s. Maybe we should go to Santa Fe first. That was where the big story this week emerged, I think, with Mariano Navone winning his fifth challenger title of the season. And this he's the first player to do it in 2023. Uh, he was already the leader, but just uh, right with Thiago Sebofield. Now he's actually the first sole leader. Uh, in this category, and he is five and zero in finals this year. He <laughs> he is just ridiculous, honestly. In, in his past, um, how many? Sixteen matches. He's won fifteen. This is all since the beginning of September. Since the beginning of September, he's only lost once to Gustavo Haida in Antofagasta, and in Antofagasta, he was also trying to back up a challenger win. That one was um, well, didn't go well. But now he actually wins how many 10 matches in 12 days i think because he didn't have it easy santa fe finished on saturday so he was in real trouble there and uh somehow he kept winning all of these deciding sets you know he beats barena he beats comesania another navone comesania i think their ninth meeting already he was zero six down now he's three six down one of them of course the final in santa cruz where he came back from four six three five and also beats barrios vera great win monteiro in the semis that was my pick for the title by the way tiago monteiro and then he beats Andrea Pellegrino in the final. And for like a set, it's the cleanest ball striking you can get on the tour. I mean, Andrea Pellegrino, uh, we all know that he has this level and sometimes he's just unplayable. You know, sometimes he just comes out, uh, is extremely imposing, great shot making, angles, power, variety, everything is there. And that was for like a set and two games. And then Navone pulls off the comeback, you know, he gets better and better as the match goes on. He shows very little signs of fatigue and yeah, he just outplays Pellegrino in the end. Um, it's ridiculous what Navone is playing right now. And he's he's both a great shot maker, but also a great grinder. 
Um, I, I really wonder how he's going to play against like main tour guys on a regular basis. Because the wins he's getting here, I mean, they are awesome. You know, Barrios, Vera, Monteiro, Pellegrino, Coria, even Coria, right? Juan Maserundo, players who have done wonders at the ATP level. I do wonder how he's going to look. Well, first off clay, that's for now, that's been a real issue for him. Like he's he has only played nine matches of clay in his career and won, well, won four of them, but um, that was like some ITF a long while ago. And in the past two seasons, he played three and lost all three. So that's going to be one thing, but also how he's going to fare against, let's say like the average number 50 in the world who maybe doesn't play clay challengers like Korea or like doesn't focus entirely on the golden swing. But let's say who's, who's the average number 50 in the world. I, I don't even know. Um, the players that I'm coming up with are definitely either far too good or far too uh, poor for that. Um, let's say hmm, oh, Daniel Altmaier is 47, for example. Like I would love to see him against Daniel Altmaier in, let's say, Munich next year or, or something like that. Because next year, Navone will be targeting a top 100 debut. I mean, he has five challenger titles to his name. Like That's obviously going to be... a. Um, well, a possibility, right? He has five challenger titles, so many points already there. So I think that's that's clear that this is going to be the goal. So I, I really want to see him against like the average main tour players, you know, and whether he's going to win consistently there. I have my doubts, but I would love to be wrong. And um, Andrea Pellegrino was the other, was the finalist, of course. He recently won in Bad Waltersdorf, 1-6, uh, 0-4 down, right, against Novak, and he takes that. So this time it was maybe a bit of a reverse Uno type of deal. 6-3-0 uh, up on Navone, he loses, and honestly lost all of that edge that he had in the first set. Uh, but still a solid week. He actually went to South America just for three weeks, as it turns out. He should be returning in Helsinki, I think, in a couple of weeks. Uh, but he uh, did get a lot of out of uh, this trip. Campinas semi, second round in Buenos Aires, and final in Santa Fe. Uh, personally, I am a little surprised he didn't stay longer, right? Because if you, I mean, if you made the trip to South America anyway, you might as well do uh, like a Drzewiecki Matuszewski last year, right? Six six weeks in a row in South America. Um, that's that's what I would do if I was him. But maybe there are some other issues, you know, reasons that we don't know uh, regarding that. Tiago Monteiro, the semi-finalist, as I said, one of uh, he was my pick to win the title. He did come back against from two five down against Juan Maserundolo in the opening round. So I knew that this this match was was going to be tough. But I figured if Monteiro um, if Monteiro does it, if Monteiro pulls it off, then he's probably going to win the title. And for a while, I thought I was right. You know, he beats Taberner, he beats Bagnis. Bagnis, by the way, he had an awful head-to-head record against. He was like two and six against him. All of the matches in deciding sets, though. So that's uh, that's a nice story. But finally, it wasn't a deciding set as Monteiro crushed him. And then he lost to Navone. I think for the most part, he was just more tense and just wasn't as focused, wasn't as sort of determined as Navone, if that makes sense. I think, you know, in a way they, they just exhibited differently, but um, Monteiro, yeah, just just much more all over the place than Navone. Let's, let's stop at that. And he loses to Navone in the semis in straight sets, but still a decent week. And of course, uh, this South American swing is already much better for him than the whole remaining part of the season which kind of makes you think that maybe there's still top 100 return in the future uh, for uh, Monteiro. 
And the semifinalist was Vitko Pshiva. Uh, again, lots of points coming his way. We said it before, but I think in 2024, Kopriva is very likely to break the top 100 around the summer, May, maybe. Uh, this was when he really was in trouble this year. And then from that point onwards, he is on a great run. Uh, he also chose to go to South America. He stays there. He will play in Curitiba. Um, excited to see how he does. Theoretically, the court conditions in South America should suit him. He made the second round in Buenos Aires, losing to Darderi. Here he gets a class win against Delbonis, but does not come close to Pellegrino in the semis. He also prevailed over Vallejo in a ridiculous match that I actually missed. I'm just seeing the scoreline for the first time. 6-0-0-6-6-3 in the first round. And when it comes to the doubles in Santa Fe, we had Margaroli and Rodriguez Taverna claim the title. Didn't they have something before? Um, yeah, indeed. Ludenscheid two months ago. I, I thought I remembered seeing them together uh, earlier as well. And they beat Agamemnone and Kestelboim in the final. So uh, we have one more challenger, 75 left, and it's in Shenzhen. So this was the second week, uh, second event in Shenzhen. We thought that maybe we're going to get the same winner, but we actually didn't. I ended up going for the same pick, though, and that was Tenes Atmane. And again, it didn't work out, but how I'm going to tell you in a second. So the champion was actually James Duckworth. We are starting the uh, sort of uh, second half of the reviews here, and we are just going to talk about veterans getting challenger titles now. Well, it's just two events, but still. James Duckworth won his 13th, first in two years. And this year he was actually 0-3 and three when it comes to challenger finals. He lost to Hijikata and Bernie at the beginning of the season. Brilliant performance from Rinky. Uh, then in Bangalore, he lost to Purcell. That was um, a real thriller. And then also in Morelos to Tirante. That was just another blowout. I remember in the second set, he couldn't keep the ball in play, literally. So not, not a great um, sort of set of performances there in the, final, in the finals outside of Purcell. But this time he finally does it. And he actually does it in just 52 minutes. Um, I was kind of pleased because I woke up today to watch this final at 5 a.m. I'm recording this on like still Monday, uh, sorry, Sunday night, in case you're um, confused. And uh, he won this title without even dropping a set, only had one tiebreak against Jali. I think what's most impressive is how, what he did in the last three rounds. Two games against Litu, that was all he lost. Three games against Buyon Chaokete and one game against Coleman Wong. Wong, um, whom I'm going to talk about in a second, uh, was just extremely wild in the final. Like He was trying to play his very aggressive brand of tennis, which he always does. And then, um, yeah, it just wasn't working out at all. He was... Like the balls were flying all over the place. Uh, Duckworth was also getting back some really good shots. Um, even uh, the, there was a point, I think, for six love for zero for love, when Duckworth chases down a drop volley from Wong and just puts it back into the court. Beautiful, beautiful rally. And uh, in the end, actually, Wong uh, had to save three match points to avoid the double bagel. So at least that's good for him that he that he did just that. Uh, but yeah, uh, a good display of strength from Duckworth, his best week of the year, and keeps him sort of alive in the top 150 for the time being, for sure. Uh, then we have Chaklam Coleman Wong. Uh, for short, I mean, people are calling him Coleman Wong. On the ATP website, he's still Chaklam Coleman Wong. On the ITF, he's actually just Coleman Wong. So um, I think I'm just going to call him Coleman Wong, you know, here in order for it to be a little easier. 
sorry if uh, if that's not how it should be done i'm actually not sure um, um you know what, what it is uh, what, what's the whole deal with it but on the itf website you just have common wong anyway um the hong kong native won two grand slam junior titles in doubles 2021 us open with max westphal by the way where is max westphal right now right and uh 2022 australian open with kuzuhara and that sort of counts for Kuzuhara as well, although obviously we've been seeing him at the challenger level, but more so in qualifying and not doing any impact. But yeah, Coleman Wong, I remember watching that final with Kuzuhara, they had actually against Vallejo and Mikkelsen, so some players that we definitely have been uh, seeing a lot on the challenger tour from, from that one final at the Australian Open last year. And um, I didn't really think that much of Wong. I remember in that final, I was mostly excited to watch Kuzuhara next. And then there was that Kuzuhara-Menshik battle, you know, the Australian Open final that ended up with Menshik um, not even being able to um, attend the trophy ceremony because he was cramping so hard and taken off the court in a wheelchair. Uh, brilliant match. I mean, uh, really one of the best finals I've seen um, uh, in Grand Slam Juniors. But um, yeah, then, then I really realized that Kuzuhara actually isn't as exciting. But Coleman Wong this week, um, I, I wonder really what he's going to do with this because he just played this very, very wild brand of tennis with like taking every forehand early, trying to kill the point right away. Sometimes it clicked, like he saved some ridiculous match points against Huang in the quarters, saving three of them actually. But then in the final, yeah, just such a rough showing and it's good for him that he at least got that one game. And he beat Atmane in the second round, which uh, again, Atmane was my pick to, to claim the title. And Wong this year, he has been getting some real results, you know, two ITF titles, two more finals. Uh, at the challenger level, actually, he was yet to win a match, but it's not like he didn't come close. He took a set of heart in Mallorca. Um, uh, I guess that's maybe it when it comes to coming close. But he, he did go through some qualifying, for example, in Waco and Rome. Uh, so yeah, he has been improving and um, I wonder, you know, what he's going to do with this. I think he got a special exempt for Playfort next week, so we might already have some sort of an indication, but um, it turns out that Coleman Wong is actually a way more interesting prospect than I thought when I watched him in the juniors. Uh, although I, I, I do wonder if, you know, he always plays like he did in Shenzhen, where he was just balls to the wall aggressive and actually has real ball striking talent. When I was watching him, I was sort of thinking... Um, is that what people think thought of Watanuki, for example, a few years back? And I cannot really tell you because I only started watching Watanuki when he claimed these Kobe titles, you know? So so I cannot really know that. But um, I wonder if, if, if that's the sort of uh, ball-striking talent that Watanuki had, uh, you know, when he was young and people just were starting to watch him. Or is it not really close? I guess that's something that I'm going to learn about in the next few years it, it's it's funny how much you know you can still um i feel like with every year of watching tennis i learn so much and yet it's such a changing subject that every single year it's actually new things as well but at the same time yeah your your, your base of knowledge improves but at the same time it, the amount of knowledge that you can possibly um expand it with doesn't really decrease and and that's really good i i feel like if i'm uh watching tennis you know maybe doing this show in like 10 years i'm i'm gonna be feeling the same that even though i know more there's actually 
exactly as much to still be learned about because there's new players there's new uh, conditions there's new courts there's no new sort of factors uh, impacting play impacting the um, development impacting the problem the progress impacting the ceiling of players um, so yeah it's it's a fun aspect of tennis I mean it's a fun sport you know I, I wouldn't be doing this <laughs> I wouldn't be just sitting here talking about it if it wasn't fun for me and, and certainly I, I do have fun um, especially when I um, yeah just just sit down and sort of come up with something like this like this this whole um, tirades here but also like the whole thought process that I had while watching Wong and sort of thinking about other very talented ball strikers and like how they must have looked at first and um, yeah uh, all to come uh, we'll see how Coleman Wong can follow up this Shenzhen run and then the semis we also had Bu Yunchao Kete um, kind of the usual Yunchao Kete run where he beats Savi Kachmazov by and loses to um, Duckworth like very comfortably so nothing special but like that's what he has been doing his whole Asian swing it seems not at first not when he lost to Justino and Rigalete but like the the last month or so uh, that's basically how Yuncho Kete has been going so I I think it's still okay Um, people sometimes think that he's gonna be the next Jiren Zhang Um, I don't know I don't really see that much, you know, that's all that special about him. But I certainly, most certainly did not see it in Zhizhen Zhang five years ago either. So uh, who knows? And now Zhizhen Zhang is, you know, just looks like one of the best players on the tour when it comes to like technical sharpness, technical ability, I guess. So uh, anything really can can happen, I guess. Well, not anything, but you, you get you get my point. And Alexander Kovacevic was the other semi-finalist. And for Kova, this is a big, big missed chance. And uh, eight matches in a row already with the uh, with the Shenzhen title. And he actually did not uh, lose that win streak because he managed to eliminate uh, Chen, Zhukayev and Justino here. Was supposed to play Coleman Wong, was going to be the big favorite there. Against Duckworth, probably like a slight favorite type of deal. I guess a 50-50 maybe, given that he was you know, going for his second title. But uh, he didn't get to that match. So his win streak is actually still alive because he withdrew before the match against Wong. And the reason stated in the PDF was a flu. And why is that even more disappointing for Kova? Because the back-to-back titles would have given him the top 100 debut. I hope he's going to do it in some you know, next upcoming weeks. I don't think he's actually playing next week. But he has he is going to have some opportunities in the um, at the end of the year in the U.S. indoor challenger swing, right? Charlottesville, Knoxville, and the likes. These are good courts for him, but the fields are going to be stronger than you know Shenzhen, for example. I I wonder if he maybe could have played Australia after China, but with the flu, it was probably going to be tough, right? So, uh, so that's not really a a thing that we can wonder about because he probably would have had to withdraw from um, Playford anyway. And when it comes to the doubles in Shenzhen, we had uh, Gao and Wang, a very unexpected pairing to me at least, winning the title. Uh, Although Gao was apparently in the top 200 in doubles back some time ago. 
And they all they had already won an ITF this year together in March. And uh, this year they played three challengers. Guangzhou lost first round, Shenzhen lost first round, and then they actually win the second event in Shenzhen. And a couple of really good wins, like Alcantara Sun, uh, a pairing who, which has been doing well, and also Matuszewski Romios, the runners up from the first event in Shenzhen. If you, in case you're wondering, Erler Midler were not here. <laughs> I mean, the Erler Midler, uh, you know, they only appeared in Shenzhen one because it was the second week of Shanghai and they had nothing to play. Then they, they returned to the main tour right after that. But it was still really fun to have a pairing who has already won three, three ATP tour titles this year play a challenger as well um, at this point in time. Because I think they also won a, yeah, they won a challenger, uh, when, which I watched live earlier in Cagliari, but that was the you know uber super challenger 175. And uh, yeah, the, the last event that we had was a Challenger 50 in Hamburg. Uh, honestly, it was going to be hard to beat Sekesh Fehervar, where I was also live this year in March in case of, in, in, in terms of, you know, the strongest Challenger 50 lineup ever. I mean, in that Sekesh Fehervar one, we had the quarterfinals like Maroshan, Andreev and Medjedovic Pirosh, right? So that was insane. But this was actually a very fun Challenger 50 as well. I think one of the one of the funniest, uh, well, funniest, not funniest, but one of the most exciting that we had in terms of the lineups uh, that eventually panned out of it. Uh, and why, let me tell you. So we had Ilya Marchenko winning the title over Denis Novak. Ilya Marchenko, this is actually his 10th Challenger title. He used to have a pretty poor record of 2-7 and seven in finals. But at this stage of his career, he has actually you know, made up for that almost completely. And he was coming off that quarterfinal in Bratislava, which is basically his home event. He's been living there. He speaks fluent Slovak. Uh, last year when I was there with uh, in Bratislava with Jakub, he even chatted to him in, in Slovak. And uh, Marchenko, you know, so it was kind of obvious that he gets this home boost in Bratislava. He also beat Novak along the way, by the way. And then in Hamburg, he beats Krutek, Czarik Bilek, third set tiebreak, Walton, Harris, 7-5 in the third, and Novak in the final. And I thought at some point he has to run out of it, but he actually didn't. And he beat Novak 6-6-3. He served better. He was more cautious, more um, sort of aware when choosing his opportunities to attack than Novak was. Novak just had an awful day at the office, honestly. And this for Marchenko is really huge because with all of these other results this year, like for example, the Salinas title, he is now, um, I don't want to say a lock, he's definitely not a lock, but he has a very good chance of making Melbourne and he hasn't played Grand Slam Qualies since 2021 Wimbledon. So it would be obviously a very big um, effort and, and a huge thing for him at this stage of his career, right? And uh, yeah, kudos to him. I mean, on an indoor court, he is always dangerous, but I just thought the one in Hamburg was a little too slow for his taste. Apparently not. Two titles already this year for Ilya Marchenko and a really solid season, which you're not really going to hear about, you know, in mainstream media, right? It's not that sort of season, but under the radar, it, it has been really, really good and much better than his previous campaign, for sure. 2021, uh, probably fairly similar, I suppose. Uh, he had the one big win at the beginning of 2021, of course, with beating Murray in the final and Biela, and that was a perfect, perfect match from him. 
Uh, but anyway, Denis Novak, let's not get sidetracked. <laughs> Denis Novak, he uh, also has a pretty nice run recently. Final in Bad Waltersdorf, uh, semi-final in Alicante. That one, Bratislava lost to Marchenko, and now he loses to Marchenko again. Does he have a Marchenko problem? I honestly thought that he easily could have turned the final around, but he wasn't taking his break points, and yeah, just was so erratic of the ground. Definitely not one of the best final performances I've seen, and definitely not one of the best Denis Novak performances I've seen, who can be an extremely imposing player on his day. Also, the ser- the serving was kind of off. Uh, he like wasn't getting all that much into it. I don't know if there was a physical issue behind it or he just wasn't feeling it on the day. But anyway, he beat Topo, Bellier, Baranco Cusano and Lamazine. So um, a couple of really good wins there. Uh, he really seemed like the best player in Hamburg, but he ended up losing. Um, but he wasn't my pick for the title. I'm actually str- struggling to remember who my pick for the title was, which must mean that it was a terrible pick. Oh, actually, I know. Um, my pick for the title was Adam Walton, who lost in the quarters. But it was exciting to see Walton in Europe, right? He hasn't played there, uh, I mean, in on the old continent, let's call it that. Uh, he hasn't played in Europe since... Um, the, a couple of ITFs in Georgia earlier this year, and that's all he played ever in Europe. So um, that was quite exciting to see him against like a very different set of opponents, right? Because we've been saying that the American challengers are a little stale recently. And um, what else? The semifinalists, we've had Billy Harris and Tristan Lamazin. Uh, Billy Harris, let's start with him maybe. He gets to like uh, 262 recently with the the quarter in Malaga, uh, quarter in Alicante as well. So he's on a very good good run, three quarterfinals in a row. Really improved uh, quite a lot, I think. And by now he's ranking, I mean, recently his career high used to be like 290. And that was clearly not enough. I think if he gets to Grand Slam qualities in Australia or like next year at some point, that wouldn't be unfair. Uh, I think uh, he has definitely at times demonstrated the ability to to justify that 100%. Obviously, I mean, quarters, quarters, semis, the last three weeks, um, and also two of them from the qualifying. He is on a really good patch of play. Against Marchenko, for the most part, he was behind, but um, in the third set, he had this comeback effort that almost panned out, but maybe was a little tentative when, when he actually had to steal the match away from Marchenko. And then Tristan Lamazine, the other semi-finalist, that was a little crazy because this was... Um, well, Lamazine hasn't made a final since 2015 Tampere, so eight years. He is actually 1-11 and 11 now in Challenger... Is is it is he one and eleven or one and ten? Because he's definitely in an eight match uh, losing streak in challenger semis. I think he's one and ten right now, so that's um, obviously not ideal. And it was a big, big match, big opportunity for Lamazine that he missed because against um, Denis Novak in the semis, he was two zero up in the third. He also had many, maybe three. I think he had key break points. Uh, let's say that at four three uh, in the third. And yeah, one one eleven actually. He's so so he's now on nine challenger semifinal ro- losses. I scrolled back to my to my tweet from a few days ago. Uh, so yeah, really painful for Lamazine, but he has had this resurgent season, and from time to time he still shows that peak forehand. And on that particular day, he can be an absolute pleasure to watch to this day. 
Uh, but yeah, I'm glad he's having this this resurgence. Um, always a, a very talented player that never really capitalized on on what he had for for this reason or another. And why I mentioned that this was a very fun uh, challenger 50 quarterfinal lineup. You've had ma- had had matches like Lamazin Santian, Marchenko Walton, Haris Valkus as well, and even Novak Baranko Kosanio. You know, Baranko Kosanio uh, suddenly making an indoor quarterfinal was was ridiculous kinda. And he did play pretty well, like he was more aggressive than usual, still playing that heavy lefty topspin style, but going to the net. But Novak crushed him. But yeah, just having players like Walton, Marchenko, and uh, especially maybe Santian, Lamazin, Valkus, you know, these last three, they are like the perennial underachiever package. So um, I, it was it was nice to have them here, even though it wasn't maybe as high profile of a lineup of a Challenger 50 as Sekes Fehervar was. I think it was one of the best ones we've had as well, based on, uh, yeah, the, the sort of, um, maybe not the caliber, but the players that we had and how they are very talented, but not necessarily showing it uh, all year round. And then the doubles was actually Novak Santian winning the title. So um, that's a that's a fun thing that Novak was going for uh, the double, but ended up losing the singles, not the doubles, which is surprising, I think. And then he uh, they beat Jetson and Welter. They also got a semi-final walkover from Istomin and Karlovski, which deserves to be mentioned since, of course, Istomin is now not not playing like actively singles, but he's he's coaching Karlovski and playing doubles with him a little bit. So. Um, so that's fun, but they they had to walk over in the in the semis as well. Novak Santian, um, the the first time they they paired uh, up, and they actually did very well. Denis Novak didn't even have a wow. Denis Novak didn't even have an ATP doubles ranking because he only played twice this year in Nontaburi at the beginning of the season, lost both matches. So actually, he didn't even have a doubles ranking which I'm kind of surprised about. But yeah, apparently the last few years he's been playing like maybe five matches in doubles a year. Uh, never really too much of a doubles player anyway, but he did make the final in Kids Beal uh, years back with Dominic team. So uh, that's why I was a little surprised. I, did, I never realized that he's not playing doubles like at all. Because I think when I was in Ostrava one year ago he was supposed to play doubles and then he withdrew with Moraing because he lost in singles and he didn't want to stay so so that's why I sort of had the idea that Novak still plays doubles from time to time apparently it's way more rare than I uh, figured and yeah so these were the the four events that we had and now let's think about the match and upset of the week I put out the poll on Twitter as usual um, and this time who is leading? Monteiro against Serundolo in um, Santa Fe. And I think I will get behind that. I think Jacques Delors also come really close. And this is actually the second poll in the chat. Sorry, in the the second option in the poll uh, at the moment. However, I have to say that from Santa Fe, I easily could have chosen Navone against Comesania as well. It's honestly really a matter of personal preference. And also the fact that Navone Comesania was a bit too late for me this week so um, yeah I didn't watch it in full whereas Monteiro Serundolo I, I did so so probably that's why I'm, choos- I'm choosing Thiago over uh, and uh, Thiago over Juanma as this match uh, of the week for myself but of course feel free to have your own opinion and Navone Comesania is certainly um, up there as one of the best as well I wish I saw Miller Fonini because people people have pointed this out and apparently it was really good and if you just see you know how um, 
how the, the sort of the games went, you know, the progression of the match, you, you can imagine it being extremely entertaining. Yes, especially as it's Fonini, right? And when it comes to upset of the week, let's let's quickly glance through what sort of upsets we could have had. Olbia, I don't think there was anything insane. Um, Santa Fe, I, I believe in Shenzhen there's going to be a few that could rock your world, sort of. Um, yeah, let's start from that. I mean, Wong over Atmane, yes. Huang over Gerasimov. I think given Gerasimov's recent form, that was also quite shocking. Which one do I go for, though? Yeah, even even though recently Coleman Wong has been getting some ITF runs, I think I'm still going to go with him over Atmane. Atmane, after Shanghai and the two challenger titles in China that he won, um, sort of had more, I had more expectations regarding his consistency. We'll see how it, it is going forward, but uh, I just sort of thought that maybe he will actually be avoiding losses like this, at least for the time being, while he's playing all these, you know, slightly weaker challengers in China, but uh, apparently that's not been the case because in Shenzhen 1 and Shenzhen 2 he both both of these events he lost in the second round. The one to Gerasimov was was probably more acceptable from his from his perspective, you know, a former top 100 player. But I think the one against Wong, you know, maybe in the future is also going to look like something that you shouldn't really be disappointed about. Who knows? But for, you know, for, for now, I think it was a pretty disappointing loss for Atmane, so uh, that's what I'm going to go for. And now we also have four more challengers. Uh, this event, this week was originally supposed to have five of them, but uh, Las Vegas was was cancelled and it was actually just like a few weeks before the event, so a little tough for the players. That's why we again don't have an, a North American challenger. We have a couple of them in Europe, in Brest, a Challenger 100, in Ortisei, a Challenger 50, and then there's also a couple of 75s, again, on the sort of outskirts of the map, let's say, and one of them is in Playfort, and the other is in Curitiba in Brazil. And in Brazil, and worth mentioning that Curitiba is actually um, on altitude, so it's like a thousand meters or something like that. So, uh, yeah, keep that in mind for sure. But we're gonna start in the biggest one, of course, the Challenger 100 in Brest. Gregoire Barrer, the defending champion, but he's not uh, defending his title. Um, I'm not actually sure what he's playing this week, honestly, because I don't remember seeing him in the main draw of Vienna or Basel, so did he already... No, actually, it seems like he's just not playing this week, that's interesting. But anyway, um, Brest, um, we have Richard Gasquet with a wildcard, and he's the top seed, he's playing Brandon Nakashima. Then, well, I mean, that's already a sick round one matchup, obviously. Then we have Artur Kazo against Denis Novak as well in that quarter. Uh, Giulio Zapieri playing Escoffier. I think that's another one that potentially could be a cracker if both guys deliver. Recently, they have been sort of, yeah, wishy-washy, if you may. Uh, I'm checking right now, actually, if if Zapieri and Escoffier... Um, if Zapieri and Escoffier have met before, because I feel like we've seen this matchup already. Yeah, Zapieri Escoffier quarterfinal this year in Rovereto. I knew it sounded familiar. Then there's also Hugo Gaston playing a qualifier in that in that first quarter. Ben Bonzi plays Pablo Yamas Ruiz. I guess indoors you expect a win from Bonzi, but it's still quite exciting. Another wildcard here is Giovanni Impeci Pericard, and after getting his first, actually even two ATP Tour wins in Antwerp, he's going to have some confidence. And that was also a magical run, by the way, because uh, Kimer Kopians was actually supposed to play the qualifying. He withdrew, 
and then Petri Pericard got in and he wins four matches, makes the quarters. Uh, so so that was quite stunning for for GMP. Uh, he plays a qualifier and then in, on the other half of this section you've got David Goffin playing Kirion Joquet, the Olbia champ, and um, one of them will face a qualifier. And there are some sick matchups in the beginning, in the uh, bottom half of this as well. Liam Brody playing Luca Nardi. Wow. Uh, Jean-Bord Piroche is back. He was out for like a week, I think, um, again, and, and he's sort of chasing that top 100 dream until the end of the year. Um, there's Pedro Martinez playing Jaume Munar. I mean, a good match on clay, but indoors maybe not. But this one is amazing. Lestien against Virtanen, such a brutal round one. And honestly, I, I sort of started thinking recently, like maybe Virtanen should be, I don't know, maybe going to the States or to China. Because like, if you're playing Lestien in the opening round in a challenger, even the 100, like what are you really going to do? How are you going to, you know, rack up the points? But anyway, yeah, it's tough. Uh, Muteg and Sper, that's... I mean, we're not ready for this match. That's going to be a mess, a chaotic mess. I don't know if it's going to be good chaos or bad chaos. And there's also Nuno Borges as the second seed playing a qualifier and then Droguet or a qualifier. Uh, is there anyone in the actual qualifying that is quite interesting? Uh, let me tell you. I mean, absolutely. Gabriel Diallo, if he qualifies, beating Blancano, he's going to be a threat. Calvin Emery playing Maxime Jovier, that's an interesting match as well. Both kind of, well, very high peak on the on the day, uh, often underachieving as well. Aydukovic, Andreev, that's a good one too. Uh, Arthur Ferry, oh yeah, if Arthur Ferry can qualify, he's going to be dangerous, although he's facing the um, king of 25Ks this year, Clement Tabour. So there are dangerous qualifiers for sure, but I'm probably not going to be looking at them in terms of winning the title. And the question is, what am I going for? Um, Gasquet or Nakashima, I don't think they're picks. I mean, they haven't done that well recently. <laughs> Kazo, no. That, that, Kazo is too bold here for me. Ben Bonzi playing Pechi Pericard in the second potential round, potentially. That's tough. Brody Nardi in the first round. I think Nardi might be the favorite, but it's, it's so tough. Uh, let me see how it is actually for the bookies. I'm interested in that. Uh, basically, even... If if they give the edge to anyone, yeah, it actually depends on the bookie, it seems so. Um, Lestien Virtanen, again, you don't really want to go into it. I don't think Nuno Borges will win the title. I think he might win a few rounds, but then he lose to someone in the quarters or semis. So I'm actually going to go for... Let's try Ben... ben. Can I try Ben Bonzi? Let me make sure what he's been doing recent <laughs> weeks, you know? <laughs> Because this is this is this is really tough. So Bonzi, yeah, in Chef, uh, he lost to Shevchenko in Antwerp, but he did beat Ote and Zepieri. He lost to Gomboshi, I remember that in Bratislava, and of course lost to Nardi in Mullerona Captive. Okay, so and nothing in this draw is gonna be easy. So I'm gonna go with Ben Bonzi. Uh, I don't like them Pechi Peri card fourth round, uh, sorry, second round, but if he gets through that the first three, um, the semis look look doable then. And and even the semi-final opponent should be fairly okay. Um, I'm kind of afraid of someone like, I don't know, Nardi or Lestien, Virtanen, yeah, maybe in the final. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to try Ben Bonzi here for the tournament winner pick. Why not? And then we have the couple of 75s that I mentioned, Curitiba or, and Playford. Let's maybe go to Curitiba first. We had Mariano Navone playing again here, but he actually withdrew. 
so he's not gonna be trying to save his streak. This tar- this tournament was actually last held in 2016. So uh, the, the defending champion Agustin Velotti is not playing professional tennis anymore. Uh, but uh, yeah, we have another challenger at altitude on the tour. So that's uh, so that's good. And yeah, Juan Manuel Cerundolo is the top seed. He's playing Wilson Leita in the opening round. Then you have Santiago Rodriguez, uh, Rodriguez Taverna and a qualifier there. And um, the fifth seed, Hugo Delian, is playing Eduardo Ribeiro. So this is actually the third time they face each other in a challenger opening round in like a month or so. So that's going to be exciting. Um, In the altitude match, it was actually Ribeiro who won in Bogota. When they played, I think, in Antofagasta, then Delian won easily. So maybe Ribeiro does it again at altitude. And there could be a match between these two Brazilian underachievers of Reis da Silva and Ribeiro in the second round. That would be fun. But of course, Ribeiro has the tough challenge, beating a Del- has to be Delian, whereas Reis da Silva plays a qualifier. You've got Copriva playing Neumayer. Um, that's a tough opener as well at altitude. Neumayer is really good at altitude. Then you have Buruchaga and uh, Gustavo Ribeiro de Almeida, Brazilian wildcard. There's Camilo Gucarabelli, the eighth seed, Andreozzi as well in this quarter with a couple of qualifiers. Uh, ninth seed, because Navonov drew, is Luciano Tarderi playing Fikovic. Then Olivor, a qualifier. You've got the other Delian playing Orlando Luz with a wildcard. Third seed is Francisco Comesania. I wonder f- how Comesania does on altitude. I guess probably worse than in, in, on clay in general. So... Probably not a great pick, I would assume. Sixth seed is Meligeni Alves, and that could be a, a possibility. He's playing Kuzuhara, then Crawford or Torres. And second seed is Tirante, playing Puccinelli d'Almeida, and then Taberner or Stina. So yeah, this is at altitude, so Tirante should be very dangerous here. But he is playing Puccinelli d'Almeida, so that's not easy. In the qualies, is there anyone really that could shake things up here? Um... I'm interested in this all-Brazilian final round between Boscardin Dias and Sakamoto. And otherwise, probably not that interested in anything else really in this qualifying draw, to be quite honest with you. And um, yeah, let's let's think about it. Juanma, um, I don't want to pick Juan Manuel Serundolo to win a, an altitude title, you know. So probably not. And then we have someone like Delian, who I also don't feel like in this in these conditions is that strong. He could lose to Reis da Silva especially, but maybe even Ribeiro. Um, Guido Andreozzi, could I try that? Probably not. Comesania, yeah, I feel like he would actually be better off if this was like a regular clay event. Uh, so yeah, Meligeni Alves sounds like a real possibility to me, actually. He he should love the conditions. He won Sao pa- Paulo like a few years back, right? Uh, which should be more or less similar. And let me see just how he has been doing. Uh, in Santa Fe, he lost to Delbonis, winning just four games. But he beat Neumayer. He took a set of Darderi recently. Of course, the US Open was amazing for him. Um, he played Curitiba in 2016 and lost in the qualifying. But back then, he was just 18. Yeah, let's let's try Felipe Meligeni Alves. I think he's already won a challenger this year, right? I don't think he's ever won two of them in in, in, in one year. But... Yeah, São Paulo 2020, as I said. Um, yeah, let's let's go with Felipe Meligani Alves. And then we're going to Playfort, where Rinki Hijikata is the defending champion, and he's also there. It's actually pretty strong compared to what we had last year. However, it's only like top heavy. 
uh, after a few top seeds, the, the quality of the draw falls apart again, like usual in Australia. And it's also very Australia-Japan based, as usual. There's South Korea as well. There's a Frenchman in the draw. There's a Polish player. Well, a Polish-Canadian, I guess, in Palivo. There's a Vietnamese player. There's a Hong Kong native and a Zimbabwean player in the main draw. So, uh, Tanasi Kokinakis is the top seed, playing a qualifier, and then Ben Lok or Coleman Wong. Interesting test for Wong, that, that first round. Um, I don't think he would beat Kokinakis, but we'll see. Nam Huang Li playing Matthew De La Viedova, and uh, Tristan Skulkate is the eighth seed, playing a qualifier. Taro Daniel is the third, uh, plays a qualifier, and then Li Tu or Zag Viala, a wildcard from Australia that I don't really, am not familiar with. Uh, Mark Polman's fifth seed plays Palivo. They recently had an opening round matchup and surprisingly Palivo won last month or two months ago. Uh, then Yuta Shimizu were a qualifier, so Shimizu could be dangerous here actually. Uh, Dane Sweeney, seventh seed plays Hiroki Moriya, then Arthur Weber or Ryonoguchi. Uh, fourth seed is Duckworth, so champion from Shenzhen, playing Uchida and then Elise or Sekulic. Ooh, I would love a Sekulic Duckworth here. By the way, I feel like Sekulic Duckworth isn't isn't that maybe a match that I've already seen someplace or. Maybe I'm uh, confusing it with something else, but it felt to me... Yeah, Sekulic Duckworth. Yeah, exactly. Great match in Bernie earlier this year. Uh, that's what I was thinking of, but I was thinking of that shoelace gate, you know, when Sekulic was struggling with his shoelaces constantly deep in the third, but that was one round earlier with Moria. And that's why, but that's why I was confused that maybe Sekulic Duckworth didn't actually happen. It did. Um, we also have the sixth seed uh, Song Chan Hong uh, playing a qualifier and then Mot or Nakagawa and Rinki Hijikata is the second seed then playing uh, Jessica against U- or, U- or Uchiyama um, do we have anyone in the qualifying actually the qualifying action I think will be starting very soon because you know it's, Aust- it's the Australian time zone so matches for me in Australia and play for it are no they're actually going to start at 1.30am my time <laughs> So that's pretty crazy, right? But um, that's in half an hour from from when I'm recording this. So the second round of qualifying has not started yet. But yeah, I just don't think anyone really... Jisung Nam, maybe. Ajit Rai, maybe these guys. Kai Wechnel, honestly, I'm interested to see how he does. But yeah, I don't think they'll be winning the title. And as I said, this draw is pretty top-heavy. So I'm sort of operating on... Uh, maybe someone like Taro Daniel, Tanasi Kokinakis, Rinki Hijikata. Yeah, that's what I'm really going for here. Um, Rinki Hijikata, I feel like he could lose to most people. I feel like his ranking right now is a little better than, you know, because of the US Open run, is a little better than what he actually can show on the court most of the time. Tanasi recently in Challengers, he hasn't really been bringing it. I wonder if Taro Daniel will do it. You know, this 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 could be a couple of events like Playford and the the one that we have after that. Uh, this could be a couple of events where uh, Taro sort of separates himself from that. Um, you know, in the in the past couple of years, he has been just bouncing between one ten in the rankings to ninety, and I feel like maybe if he got deep in one of them and won the other. Maybe that would be a real chance for him to finally be more, more like solidly into the top 100, especially as this has been such a good year for him in terms of his level, I think, for the most part. He has had some abysmal losses, frankly, but he also played excellent matches with 
greats of the game uh, on a few occasions. So, yeah, I, I'm going to go with Taro Daniel, I think. He also pushed Shelton in Tokyo just now. Um, I'm going to try Taro Daniel. I don't think he has the best draw. I think that probably has to be... Huh, maybe maybe Rinki has the best draw uh, out of these three, but I'm going to go with Taro Daniel. So I've already picked the number three seed, number four seed, and number six seed. If there's going to be a nice number five seed in Ortisei, I'm going to pick it, you know, just to have a theme of three to six. I know it's not a strong theme, it's not a funny theme, but why not? Um, I like these themes. Oh, and I actually already see who's the fifth seed, and I actually wanted to pick that guy anyway. So, okay, I'm, I'm going to do that. <laughs> but not because of the theme, I mean, well, both. I, I, I wanted to pick that guy in the first place. So yeah, Ortisei, the, the last event, the Challenger 50 that we have in Europe. Bornagoyo, the defending champ, but la, not defending his title. I mean, last obviously he's in the top 100. Also last year it wasn't a 50, it was an 80. Um, this is the, the event that has like the fastest courts out there, really. I mean, uh, I remember there were some stats about it and they were even posting um, numbers higher than carpet in Ismaning or Kenta. So... Yeah, it's a, it's a ridiculously fast court in this, in, in Ortisei. Uh, Abdullah Shelbach is the first seed playing... Um, I have to check the name of this guy, sorry. Menelaos Esfatiu. And uh, Menelaos Esfatiu is a college player, by the way, who is using his accelerator here. Um, if you were surprised, I remember because I pulled up this draw and, you know, the college and junior accelerators, they are, they are generally not in PDFs or or in the draw, you know, anywhere really. So I saw him and I was like, is there something wrong with me? Is Esfatiu like 400 in the rankings? And I didn't realize. And then I and then I actually found out that he was in the top 10 of uh, of the college rankings. And that's that's how he's here. Anyway, uh, Yaroslav Demin against Dalaval. That could be an interesting one as well. Demin, of course, the uh, junior Wimbledon champion, right? Yeah. Then you also have six seed Alejandro Morocanias on such fast courts. I wonder how he's going to do. Uh, he plays a qualifier and then a qualifier. Or Andrew Paulson's. Andrew Paulson's serve could be massive here. Uh, Francesco Maestrelli playing Antoine Bellier. Bellier, theoretically, really good courts for him. They uh, One of them will play a qualifier. There's Billy Harris against Napolitano. That's a good round one. Uh, one of them will play Horda Sanchez or a qualifier. And the bottom half is more stacked, it seems. Marchenko plays Rotoli and then Vessels or a qualifier. Gaio faces Neukrist and then Forti or Gombosch. And this bottom quarter I really enjoy. There's a couple of poles in here. I think the draw for both of them is actually terrible. Um, the second seed is Gofier on Klen and he plays Max Kasznikowski. Uh, in general, I feel like the Ortisei courts aren't going to be fantastic for Max. Uh, he has been struggling recently. He lost to Orlov in Olbia, which I thought was, you know, given where he where he wants to be, Max, let's say. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's an acceptable loss. And uh, yeah, Ortisei, I, I don't like these courts for him. He doesn't like fast, low-bounce courts, so I'm not sure what why he's playing it. I think uh, even qualifying in Brest would have been maybe even better, but who knows? Um, actually, would he make the qualifying? Maybe maybe that's even a question, right? Because with his ranking of like 300 and Brest is so strong, maybe he actually wouldn't have made it. Uh, well, he would have like barely made it after the uh, withdrawals, I suppose. So maybe he just wasn't willing to risk. Um, not sure. But anyway, um, Max plays Onclau and then uh, Hertz or Carboni. 
and Mark Layal, the fifth seed, plays Kacper Ruk and then Matthias Borg or Joao Souza. And uh, yeah, let me look at the qualifying as well. We have, Lu- we have Lucas Klein here. Actually, maybe I will change my pick to Lucas Klein. Oh, yeah, I think I will because he's in the top half. Uh, yeah, uh, be- I mean, th- there's a high chance that the qualifier will be in the top half because th- five out of six qualifiers are there. There's only one qualifier in the bottom half. And it's in the third quarter, not the fourth. Because I wanted to pick Layal at first. Uh, I think it's a terrible draw for Zhuk. But Layal plays Zhuk. Then Souza. Then on Clan or, I don't know, Hertz. That's not easy. So I think I'm going to change it to a qualifier. And I'm going to change it to Lucas Klein. So Klein has to beat Piquione first. But he did well in Ortisei last year. He has a big serve, obviously. Maybe his crown game can sometimes look better if there's like a, you know, more time on the ball with um, a long backswing. However, well, long backswing on the forehand, I mean. However, yeah, I, I still feel pretty confident that he could do well here. And I like the fact that there's a big chance that the qualifier will be in the top half. So then um, a bit of an easier draw, especially if he draws Horda Sanchez, for example. Morocanias, I think, maybe in Ortisei that should be easy for him. I, I, I would guess so. Also, there's a quali- all-qualifier matchup. So yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for a qualifier pick. I'm going to choose Lucas Klein. And Lucas Klein, of course, wouldn't have to qualify for this. He just signed up. I mean, didn't sign up. So he was in the qualifying as an alternate. He outranks the qualifying field by... 172 spots but he lost the set to Federico Arnaboldi so you know maybe it's not gonna be that easy uh who knows and yeah that's gonna be it for today uh thank you for staying with me until the end and um yeah basically uh we have the four events next week uh which uh, to to review which are going to be Ortisei, Playford, Curitiba and Brest uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And also, uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be going to Ismaning, to the only carpet court on the tour. So that's going to be very exciting. Surely a lot of interview questions about that, because, of course, it's the main talking point, I guess. I'm really excited to see the orange carpet courts of Ismaning in action. And, uh, yeah, uh, that's going to be one of the more exciting trips I think you can really take on the Challenger Tour right now, given the uniqueness of the venue. Um, I hope that I'm going to, I mean, I usually don't, don't say that much about my upcoming tricks, trips, but, you know, I've booked the hotel, uh, the tournament organization replied to me, so I guess that means I'm going, right? Um, I guess nothing really can go wrong, hopefully. I hope I didn't jinx myself and won't, uh, I don't know, break my leg. But anyway, uh, and not break a leg, you know, in the metaphorical, in the sort of common saying sense, but break a leg in the literal. Um, But anyway, I'll see you guys then, and um, yeah, talk to you soon. Bye.